Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember this story. story, story, story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the 30th episode, the 30th birthday party of what? the Podclarks. What? You cannot be serious. <laughs> There's balloons everywhere, party poppers and cake for all. Happily, because it's an audio podcast, there can be no uh, proof to deny or confirm that statement. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding, they say. Mmm, that is so tasty, that cake. <laughs> How's our acting skills? Should we uh, get ourselves onto the uh, RSC stage? Any uh, any stories related to the RSC stage or or otherwise? Oh well, um, so many stories. Very few of them related to the RSC stage. Although I have <laughs> seen it once in my life. Um, I'm going to read a letter that I wrote from the airport in South Africa to Jessica Clark. Ooh, that's me. It, ne- <laughs> it is, did you? And it needs a little bit of background explanation to understand the slightly random um, references in the letter. So. Loyal listeners will know that I was interested as a young person in old telephones. We've recounted many stories, including the one of rescuing quarter of a tonne of scrap telephone equipment from Ireland on a day trip and getting it shipped back to our house in Leamington. That's a good story. Check back in the podcast if you haven't heard that one. Um, but I just loved the way they all worked and that was partly the influence of my phony friend from episode 9 I believe it, you'll find it is uh, who, uh, who who introduced me to the whole the work, wonders of the working telephone um, so that's one reference in the letter and the other reference was about upgrading on British Airways and I've talked about this before but when I travelled for charity purposes most of my career one of our friends had a brother, he had several brothers actually, but one of them was a pilot. And uh, if he knew that somebody was working for charity, he would sometimes upgrade them. And sometimes that worked for me. Um, but what's interesting about this is that this letter was written before we ever met that person or his brother or knew about upgrades on British Airways. So I'll now read you the letter. It's got an excellent cartoon drawn by me. Um, <laughs> Please note, uh, sorry about audio listeners, but please note the bags under the eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I'm sorry to say that I thought at first that that was what I had drawn. (laughs) 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 But it's not a kid's drawing, it is a fashion drawing. No, I've never, I mean, look at the ears, the size of the ears, have you seen the ears? We'll put a picture of this on our Instagram, so go and uh, and check it out to see bags under the eyes and the ears. (laughs) Backs under the ears? I don't think so. (laughs) Dear Jessica, hello, in capital letters, which I presume means I was shouting. Here's a sleepy old daddy at good old Jan Smuts Airport. I think that's the only time I've referenced myself as daddy in my entire life. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't (laughs) seem like the kind of... I don't... yeah. Can't explain it. At good old Jan Smuts Airport. Smutty by name and smutty by nature, which is a scan. <laughs> I mean, it's a scandalous attempt to get a laugh at the expense of Jan Smuts Airport, as far as I can see. But anyway, that is it works. Absolute scandal. Send it to the press. <laughs> Arrived after a smooth but pretty ghastly flight on time, 
at eight o'clock-ish, very cramped in the aeroplane, ended up practically sitting on top of the Indian man sitting on my right and the English girl on my left. We all had to get up and go to the loo together. <laughs> you simply had to, even though you didn't need it. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's just like a picture, like a picture, like a cartoon there, all with the little legs going together. <laughs> Food was pretty mediocre, and after ten and a half hours, ten, ten and a half hours, I'd had enough. The flight was full, but the, although I asked, they didn't upgrade me. You see. I was scrounging at that stage, even though I didn't even know about it. I took a bus into town and wandered around for a bit. I bumped into a gaggle of clergymen and decided to ask them which way to church. But they'd also arrived that morning for a conference and were also looking. I abandoned the attempt and settled for the Holiday Inn instead. (laughs) I mean, I don't know whether I... Imagine I could go to church, s- but actually I'll go to Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that that's the proper collective noun for clergymen. A gaggle I- of clergymen. <laughs> Are you sure it isn't? Well, no, maybe it is. <laughs> it sounds a bit like what they do. Um, at the Holiday Inn, I had an eat... This is All of these have got hyphens between them, these next few words. Eat as much as you can for as long as you like lunch. For five pounds. <laughs> also known as all wow. you can eat. Yes, that's <laughs> It's a nice place, by day anyway, with an airy feel to the centre. This is Johannesburg it's talking about. Wide streets and trees. I found the telephone exchange. But they said any old stuff would be in Pretoria. And there's a museum there, you know. Note to self, probably. I didn't write this in the envelope, in the, in the letter, but I'm sure I was working. How can I get to Pretoria? <laughs> um, so I may try to get there next week. <laughs> <laughs> I found, this is hilarious, it's, I found a beautiful shower room right at the top of the airport. <laughs> what? Uh, where nobody seems to be. So I'm off there to have a refreshing wash before checking in for the Maputo flight. Maputo's in Mozambique and I was obviously off to Maputo. What I've deduced is, I started this letter on the way in and I'm finishing it off on the way out at the airport, which is why it's uh. Uh, a bit confusing. So I was going to go and scrounge a shower. So do you think it's the VIP lounge for business class passengers <laughs> well yeah i mean you you normally can't get in there unless you've got a sort of decent yeah. haircut and a and a ticket so um it's a lovely temperature about 75 warm and sunny on the negative i'm jolly sleepy and i have a head and have a headache nothing that a night's sleep won't cure have fun <laughs> <laughs> have fun That's, so i was six I don't, I don't know how old you are, and I think most of that was probably written with your mother in mind, actually. But I think <laughs> I was trying to to gain some kudos by addressing it to you. Um, I'm not entirely sure. It hasn't. It wasn't dated, so. Uh, I wonder if is it pre Tommy? If Tommy's not included, I think it is. So you really wow. wouldn't have been. So I was very a miniature. A pre-scraplet. No, no, you're a scraplet. A, pre, a pre-scraplet. <laughs> no, no. I was the pre-scraplet. Was the yes, pre-scraplet. you were. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, I mean, it's quite funny if you read all of that again without it being addressed to a child. It, yeah, very funny. <laughs> um, anyway, it's a little window on the uh, travel, travelling around the place um, mm. in those days. Do, would it have beaten you back or did you bring it back with you, do you think? Did you post it? Has it got stamps? It's a, an air letter. I think there's a chance it would have beaten me back because it would have been posted at the airport and probably direct flight to London 
if I was there for a couple of weeks in the area of talking about something I have no clue about I, I have a hunch it did get <laughs> back before me um, mm. yeah exciting fun race and that um, that trip to Maputo was the one where three tyres exploded on landing uh, which I've recounted in a, a Zomida drama before I believe but um, no 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 anybody no anybody was harmed <laughs> but it made, yeah. a, it made um, a loud noise i'm not sure that if they exploded on landing that it's a mid-air drama actually it's definitely a <laughs> ground mm, drama very true Semantics we were bouncing important. we were bouncing mm. <laughs> i don't think you're mid-air if you're bouncing i think you're just a low-air drama uh, low-air drama yeah uh, this is going to get my mid-air drama is a bad name you know all this um, <laughs> dis- dissing of uh, pointing out of weaknesses Anyway, so that was really apropos, nothing at all. Uh, really, in this whole saga of progressing through life, we're in the, the zone of the digital learning programme, which we've talked about many times and will continue to talk about. And this was where we were creating the DVDs in other languages. And um, as you will know, and others may, it needed a lesson in English to start off with. So we'd create the lesson in English, whether it was on HIV or clean water or vaccination programmes. It had to be in English, first of all. And then in order to get it out to the other languages, we need somebody to translate the script, somebody to record the audio, and somebody to make the new disc in the new language. And uh, so the sort of net result of that is that we were always on the lookout for anybody who happened to be available to fulfil those roles, particularly language speakers. Um, and I know you both got involved in the last stage. We've, we've mentioned that. Um, but it meant that, that Helen, who I was working with, sort of in, instilled in me particularly, and she was a terror for this, you know, whoever happened to walk across her field of vision, um, she'd be sort of saying, who are you? What do you do? And what can you do to help me? Kind of thing. And I, it's a, policy I've adopted ever since actually <laughs> um, so we were always, always on the lookout for anybody who happened to be around to help and now um, we're jumping forward a little bit in time but um, at some point in the future we moved to France okay we will jump back in time again um, but in France we had some friends uh, and they had a son who won't mind me calling him Jan because that was his real name and um, Jan was at a bit of a loose end and that's a very dangerous thing given the context of of looking for people to help he wasn't sure what to do next he was in France wondering what to do we were coming back to London to do a teaching programme actually in in London and in a sort of casual conversation before we took the flight the following day uh, it was suggested that um, he might like to come and help this organisation do these wonderful digital learning tools to which he promptly said yes packed a 10 kilo bag and off he came with us with with almost very little notice and very little idea as to what he was coming to and he stayed with the the vicar Richard who you all both remember and I think for about six months um, if not longer uh, he uh, worked in Warwick Um, he worked in the office he did some of the authoring of new discs and um, most interestingly, it's at one particular point, we wanted to get new lessons in a particular language from Kenya. And this language was Doluo, 
which not a lot of people know about, but President Obama does. Because hmm. his family heritage is Dolua, and his mm. grandmother only speaks Dolua. Oh, I think she speaks English as well, actually, but her, her, her mother tongue, her first language is, mm. is Dolua, and she still lives in Kenya. So we packed some um, Yan off to this part of northern Kenya to uh, get some recordings done, some translations and recordings. And he uh, went to stay with a fellow we'd come across called Edward. And Edward and Yan uh, worked out how to get some translations and recordings done. And then it transpired that Edward knew President Obama's grandmother. Huh. Mm. Small world. Mm. Well, an unlikely world is what I think, because I suppose she had to live somewhere. But yes, it is a small world. Anyway, um, President Obama's grandmother was, was duly targeted, thinking that she could be a route to uh, maybe contacting President Obama, who could be, you know, very handy as a patron or a volunteer. Or <laughs> I mean, he, he doesn't have much to do with this time, so... He was at the time serving president, so I think it, the whole thing was fantastical. But you never know where these things are going to go. And, I mean, you know, just for the sense of balance in these um, implausible tales, I have to finish this story by saying it didn't go anywhere. We never had any contact with President Obama <laughs> or his grandmother although um, attempts were made. And Edward knew his grandmother and she, he knew where she lived and his, her name and stuff. But it was just one of those things that didn't work, he, even though he tried. But Jan did come back with a basket full of Doluo recordings uh, to which we got a whole bunch of people to make, um, make new lessons. Do you know how many people sort of speak that language or, or how, like how widespread it is or...? It's a reasonable language group. I would, mm. I would guess, probably a couple of hundred thousand, maybe three hundred thousand people. Um, I'm. Mm. It's a wild guess that. Yeah. But if, just thinking about the population of Kenya and that, that the prominence that tribe, which is not great, it's it's probably something along those lines. Then, of course, the discs got um, sent back out to Edward, and he used them in his community program. So. Mm. So so far, you have. Um chatted with Chelsea Clinton and you've spoken hopefully to Barack Obama so who's the next uh, presidential candidate on your list? No I'm going to stick with with Obama actually because he's the only one I've got left in, in <laughs> my in my sort of toolkit of presidents as it were. <laughs> um, oh, there's still time I think you after Kamala Harris. Oh now that would you I would yeah I'll be upgraded. I'll be <laughs> if she's upgraded. listening, uh, get in contact. <laughs> Indeed, yes. So just sticking with President Obama, quite separate to everything I've ever mentioned in this podcast before, uh, I went to visit my brother in North Wales. And whilst we were there, he said, oh, there's somebody here you should meet because they're really interested in what you're doing with this language stuff around the world. Well, we didn't meet them, but it was a couple and um, I don't remember meeting them anyway, but there was, we were in touch by email and they were organising a, um, a group of people who were trying to sort of be effective in changing the world in some shape or form, all sorts of different ways, of which mm. the charity I was involved with kind of seemed to, seemed to fit with. And I think that's why they were in touch. So they mentioned that there was this uh, annual presidential prayer breakfast which is the wildest thing you've ever come across so the um sitting president or standing president whoever it is 
on the second Thursday of February, I think it is, um, hosts uh, an event for about 4,000 people in the Washington Hilton, which was the ballroom of which was built especially for this purpose. And um, by Conrad Hilton, who owned the Hilton chain at the time in the 1970s, after he talked to Billy Graham, who is a sort of international evangelist. And Billy Graham said, um, I want to have this prayer breakfast with the president and I need a big room. And Conrad Hilton said, OK, I'll build you one. <laughs> this is paraphrasing. For something. use once a week, once a year. Once a year. I mean, obviously, it's, it's part of the Hilton Hotel, yeah. so it gets used for, for other events. But that's why it was built. Yeah. So they, they, this couple in North Wales, unlikely as it may seem, were organising a delegation to go to the presidential prayer breakfast. And did I want to go? Well, did I want to go? It sounded <laughs> like a lot of fun to me. But, but I, I didn't, want to, didn't want to have to pay. I, I thought probably the airfare was manageable. But I didn't want to pay for accommodation because most people stayed in Hilton, which was sort of big money. And... Um, so it turned out that we, our neighbour at the time, Barbara, had a re, uh, relatives who lived in New York. And they were quite elderly. But I happened to see Barbara and said, what do you think your relatives would think if I uh, asked if I could stay with them for a couple of nights in February? And she said, I don't know, but I'll ask. And so she asked um, these relatives and the, the niece said, yes, that would be fine. They, had a, they didn't have a spare room, but they had a sofa that I'd be welcome to, to to sleep on. So that was great. So I booked my tickets. And um, I had said to the people who were organising this that I wasn't sure about my accommodation because it hadn't been confirmed until the very last minute. So I got on the flight and uh, we took off and landed. And I remember landing in New York and getting out of the station, getting on a train, going to, to New York Central Station, which is a big sort of wonderful hall is that grand central station yeah grand central station that's it yeah and i just got into some sort of phone signal that started working on my phone i got this beep, 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 beep. and uh i looked on my phone and it it said um stephen i hear you're coming to the uh presidential breakfast on thursday and that you might need accommodation i would be delighted to accommodate you in my private suite on the floor 10 of the hilton hotel um, give me a ring when you get in so we can discuss the details. Yours ever, Lord Michael Hastings, whom I'd never heard of <laughs> and didn't know from my name. What? Scam, scam, scam rang in my ears. It's sort of like, it's <laughs> definitely not a kind of thing you expect to happen. So I um, I did contact Lord Hastings, Michael Hastings. I know he wouldn't mind me telling the story because he was entertained by it as I was. And he is a ha- member of the House of Lords Um he goes to this event routinely each year. He goes with a friend of his who's a top London lawyer and they book this suite. But his lawyer friend had suddenly been called away by Her Majesty's court service to... Uh, As some... one does. Well... <laughs> from time to time. Not personally, but he couldn't get out of it. So uh, he didn't go. So Michael Hastings was left with a, an extra room, double bed, extra bathroom, extra champagne, extra everything that goes with that sort of suite. And he took pity on the waif and stray. When he saw the email going round to people who had been um, contacted by these people who were organising it, saying, there's a, a waif and a stray who might not have accommodation. <laughs> he just, he just not knowing me from Adam, which is an amazing sort of thing in his favour, 
he he invited me to stay with him, which which I then did. And um, I remember he's quite a quite a short man, and he took me for a walk to sort of get my bearings of what who I was. And we we went scampering around that part of New York. I had difficulty keeping up with him because he was walking. <laughs> and he said, "This is what I do to keep fit." And he was powering mm. along. And he he had an interesting story, but um, the the main thing of interest was that if you were an old if you go and check into the Washington Hilton and inside like a room any old room most expensive you've got um they'll give you a key and you get in the lift and you have to use the key to open the lift um because the lift doesn't work unless you've got a key a uh, sort of key card and normally that key will only take you to floor nine and you can't if you push floor 10 it just stops at floor nine because that's the ceiling the glass mm. ceiling or the concrete ceiling or the poor <laughs> people ceiling and um but my key took me up to floor 10, which was uh, where Very there was nice. a sort of a lounge that always had food on tap. Uh, I think soft drinks were always available. And this very nice suite with Michael Hastings, who added a lot of fun and, and, and games to to the, whole, um, to the whole visit. So that was my accommodation sorted. I did go and see the niece who had offered me a bed for the night. And I saw the sofa... And it was shorter than me <laughs> and had vertical sides at each end. Oh, no. I mean, it would have been it would have been a shocking place to spend the night. But and you thought, um, no, I'll go for the fancy suite with the extra champagne and the food on tap. Yeah. <laughs> Given the choice. It was a tough call, but but yeah, it was uh, it it was good. I'll um I'll come back to some of the details of that whole experience in the next podcast. But it it, it reminds me that the couple the, the, not the niece, but the couple who Barbara had contacted initially about um, about accommodation were, were very interested in what we were doing. And at a subsequent date, I went back with Helen to uh, have uh, an evening in their house. They had this lovely, I think they're on Fifth Avenue, which is, even I've heard of that, sort of, a, it's, a, it's a pretty small Yeah, place. the Fancy Street, Saks, yeah. Fifth Avenue. And it was a fancy apartment and they were really nice and they threw it open and we invited, you know, the great and the good. And, um, but the night before we were having supper with them, they'd all also invited some of their friends to meet Helen, who was, you know, no mean um, person to meet. And I know they were, you know, very stated and strong atheists and they, you know, we, you didn't meet them for more than five minutes before they were telling you that there definitely wasn't a god and that you know blah 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 it was very really mm. sort of almost over present in the way they they lived well it's fine no problem with that but um Helen of course being quite strongly Christian and uh anyway the, the meal was all a, a buzz with um with conversation and then as it happened sometimes just for no reason at all the conversation sort of settled to nothing apart from one voice which was Helen saying to our host, well, you might have descended from monkeys, but I certainly have. <laughs> and I, to this day, I just what? think it's a, just a, it was just a wonderful caricature of the both yeah. of them. And it, it sort of encapsulated in silence. Oh, wow. That is. <laughs> it's so funny, those moments where everything kind of, just naturally goes a bit mm. quiet and then suddenly you know you just ping out one bit of information i'm always yeah. really interested when you walk past people and you capture the, like a two second snapshot of what they're talking about yeah well that last weekend that we were away in copenhagen um 
I started to write down things exactly that I heard as people Mm. went by. Because the first one I heard, I thought, that's so interesting. You could do something with that. But then I I lost interest after about... You could probably write a a novel around the... um, Mm. Oh, and in fact, my brother yesterday, he sat on his phone and it sent me a voice message. He didn't know he'd sent it. And and all it said was... um, and do you know, it was about midnight when... And then it cut oh, off. Oh, <laughs> that's a cliffhanger. <laughs> you telling your um, fancy hotel story was reminding me of a time when I was working abroad and there was a disparity in the kind of level of accommodation that different people were in. I think, you know, depending on how important you were, you maybe had a slightly better... Or a... I mean, the worst ones were were just a very good normal standard, but the good ones were you know, very nice. Fancy. Smart, smart. And, uh, and they had a swimming pool in them. Um, and the people who were staying there could take guests to the swimming pool. And so a couple of times I went as a guest and, you know, and you walk into the hotel lobby and you walk to the bit where the swimming pool is and, you know, you, you go and chase, have a swim. Great. It was really nice. And, uh, they, were not staying as long as I was. I was there for sort of an extended period of time. And after they left, it kind of occurred to me that there wasn't actually any key card needed <laughs> for any of that access. What what you needed was to know where it was, which I did because I'd already been in with the people who mm-hmm. had been renting a room there. And so I sort of was like, well, maybe I could maybe I could try going for a swim because what's the worst that will happen? Like somebody will say, no, you can't come here. And I'll say, oh, sorry. Um, and so I did. So I went back and went, went for a swim and it was, I mean, it was amazing because it was, it was just, it was a very nice place. It had a little, you know, jacuzzi and a kind of sauna and just, and also nobody was using it, which I have found hmm. a few sort of hotels that have swimming pools is, I guess, you know, people use hotels as a base and they go and do other things. But but when I whenever I've been there, not many people seem to be using it. And so it just felt like the absolute, you know, just... It just felt like total luxury having a, a whole swimming pool to myself in a very nice place. And I wasn't yeah. even supposed to be there. <laughs> I think I think the not supposed to be there bit adds a bit of... Ex- enjoyment to it as well yeah it makes it even better yeah mm. slightly but slightly more nerve-wracking that that applies to so much of modern life, life. That if you know <laughs> yeah. if you know the way the system works there's always vulnerabilities and you know mm. but uh, well actually somebody was telling me a story the other day about how they'd booked tickets to a show um and couldn't afford the kind of very good seats but uh the reason why they were watching it was because they knew somebody in the show. And when they got to their seat, they realised they couldn't see half the stage. It was sort of a really restricted view. And so they just said to the usher, um, I don't suppose there's any available seats that I could that I could move to. Just my friend is in the show and I want to, I want to see them, but I, I think I won't be able to see a lot of it. And the usher sort of said, um, let, me, let me see you, like, stay there for a minute and I'll see what's what. And then just as the just before the show started, basically they moved them to the house seats, which are <laughs> the best seats available and are unsold because you reserve them for 
you know lots of different uses but for people that might need to be moved or kind of last minute vips um Mm. and it but again it's sort of just an example of like it you know you wouldn't normally think to ask and obviously normally that probably wouldn't happen but just the right the right kind of person meeting the right kind of person asking the right sort of question and suddenly you're Mm. This this is yeah. why it's so important to be nice to people when you first meet them, in case yes. you suddenly find they actually hold the keys to your dream. That you, if you're rude to them, as, as well as just generally, it's good to be nice to people. You know, well, it's not all about. <laughs> Always but be is, nice for all of the reasons. But I think yeah. there's sort of some films that show people being mean to somebody, and then it turns out that they they control yeah. their future yeah. or something. You think there's there's a that way around. There's a sort of nice justice about it. <clears throat> well it's a classic interview thing isn't it of of asking you know the receptionist how people treated them or asking the person who kind of I don't know like someone who people might assume doesn't necessarily hold power there are some people in the world who I think would therefore treat that person like they were lesser and then actually you know that's just an incorrect way of being mm. an indicator of somebody's true nature rather than exactly whereas we would all be lovely because we'd be like can you, you might be get able us to... nicer biscuits <laughs> yeah. or something for the next meeting <laughs> can you show me where the secret swimming pool is please <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes on the um conversation falling to a silence there was one other um, story that i read in the daily telegraph so it must be true years ago where four tax inspectors went out to lunch at a restaurant and um, business lunch and the same thing happened it all fell to a silence and then the bloke at the table too along was heard to say and the tax men never found out <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Excellent. It, according to the daily telegraph it resulted in a, a prosecution and a conviction for tax fraud because uh, oh my gosh. they they felt obl- obliged to follow it up I, yeah. I guess if there's four of you, you know, you, you kind of say, if you're on your own, you think, oh, I'll let it go. Kind of, if there's four of you, yeah, so. but, right, well, <laughs> <Cult culpable>. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, well, I think that's probably um, a good clutch for today because last time was very long, and I thought if we made it a bit shorter this time, on average, people wouldn't get bored or too interested. <laughs> I'm sure that's perfect logic yes <laughs> don't get too bored or too interested thank you yes we are the last bowl of porridge in the world of podcasts <laughs> we aim for mid-air in terms of engagement <laughs> something along those lines i know it didn't quite didn't land <laughs> thank you excellent well, we look forward to hearing more of your stories next month. Well, I will. I will embellish the the, the Washington Prayer Breakfast because I've, there's a bit more to say about that, and it's it's worth really coming back to hear the rest of that story because you've only heard the mm-hmm. the very very least interesting bit so far. Well, and I'm realizing that the next episode will come out will be the last episode of the year, so maybe a little Christmas theme uh, would be fun if possible. That would but, be uh, nice. We'll see what we can rustle up. Yeah, Gosh, well, how I... are we already at Christmas themes? That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Well, well, we've already turned 30, so anything is possible. Mm. So is this now as old as you are? Well, it was born in 1991 or two or three or whenever you were born. Two, wasn't it? Yeah. This well, podcast. Oh, in fact, what? <laughs> no, no, no. Never mind. <clears throat> Never mind. I was getting mixed up with my run club. Ah, OK. Yeah. Well, anyway... <laughs> 
Is, is this oh, as many... Actually, in fact, I feel like I now need to say what that was. I know, because it is, <laughs> so It is also kind of interesting. Is my, my, the next time I go on Run Club will be on the 31st of October, <gasps> and it will be my 31st run with them. And, and it will be, be the day after my thirty-first birthday. Wowzer! So, how could you? How could you nearly not say that? I mean, that is. I know. Far and well, away, because well, I thought for a second that it was the podcast. But also, but. we will. But we'll, it will be similar with the podcast because it will be your thirty-first episode, our thirty-first episode, and you'll be thirty-one. Goodbye, <laughs> adieu. It's au revoir, farewell, or something like that. It's goodbye for me anyway. It's au revoir, farewell. Thanks, Dee. goodbye for me. Thanks for all your stories and your entertainment, and it is goodbye from me.